All right, so did you know that Starbucks has over 80,000 ways to order a beverage? How many of you went to Starbucks this morning and ordered the beverage your way? Okay. So they have, you know, it's like caffeinated, decaf, half-calf, double-calf, sugar-free vanilla, caramel, non-fat, extra-fat, super-fat. <laughs> um, they have all kinds of things, extra foam, no foam, blended, frozen, heated. To, one time I was standing in line, and a person in front of me was like, I want it heated to 140 degrees, 0. 0.3. I was like, right, okay. So if you're a barista, I applaud you. But did you know this, you probably didn't about me, that without fail... Despite 80,000 options, I order the exact same drink every single time. Anybody else? The exact same one. This is the one I get. There's a clap for that. Um, I may, maybe, if I'm feeling wild, I might go with my option two, right? But I always have one or two options. And I do this the same at restaurants, too. There could be many things on the menu that look so super delicious, but I usually stick with, like, one thing Every time. Anybody with, so I go to Max and Irma's, I look at the menu for hours, but I always order the tortilla soup. I mean, it just doesn't matter. I don't even know why I look. And so I have these things all the time. Uh, it's at El Canelo, it's the chips and cheese. Every time. Do you want the special? Nope, I want the chips and cheese. Yeah, every single time. Anybody with me? All right, you ready for lunch now as I'm telling you all of these things? Now, I do this because I suffer from something called FOMO. All right, have you heard of FOMO before? Time Magazine says actually that 75% of people under 40 years old have the same problem. And what FOMO means is fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And it begins with this growing awareness that there is an endless selection of attractive options for the consumer to choose from, and like 80,000 at Starbucks. And so there's no way we will ever be able to choose from so many options. So we constantly feel like we're missing out on something. It's the fear of missing out. It's this new uh, sociological epidemic that has only increased as social media has, where we can pretty much at any time open up our phone and see what everyone else is doing and then compare it to the very thing that we're doing and feeling like we're missing out on something. And so that's why the generations that have grow up on social media deal with it. Now, different people cope with FOMO different ways. So my way of coping with it is I just stick with the same thing because I know I'm going to like it, right? If I try the special and it's junky, then I'm going to be really sad. I didn't get exactly what I wanted in the first place. Other people have... Um, uh, this reaction to it. So they have four parties they're invited to on Saturday. They can't decide which one to go to. So they instead stay at home and sit in their pajamas the whole day and stress out. Anybody like that? So you just don't move at all because you're like, well, I can't choose from all the options. I'm not going to choose at all. As a culture, we demand choice. We, we demand options. And, and we imagine that the more options that we get, the more freedom that we have. The more options that we get, the more freedom that we have. And most people think that limitless freedom must be a good option. But the irony is that studies show that apparently limitless choices don't actually make us happy. And that the number of choices available to us becomes overwhelming. It actually makes, us it, makes it difficult for us to enjoy um, the full commitment of anything to anyone. And so even if we do commit, even if we decide, okay, we'll, we'll kind of go past all that culture jargon and we'll commit, the culture then makes us feel dissatisfied in the choice that we've made. 
And so all uh, the marketing and, and everything, it just bends toward, well, you could have something better. Well, what you have isn't good enough. We just created something better. That's why your iPhone updates like every six months. All right, drives me bananas. I always have to get used to it again. And I hate it at first, every single time. And then it grows on you. But, um, you know, so fear of missing out. Then Pam sends me things with confetti and balloons and like messages with that. And I'm, I'm happy. Um, but it becomes this FOMO, this op- limitless choices, becomes much more dangerous in our spiritual lives. It becomes much more dangerous in our spiritual lives because when we take the, the multiplicity of trivial questions, cr- trivial options that we have at, say, Starbucks, and we apply them to the bigger questions about our life, we begin to have often a crisis of faith, a crisis of life choices. So, for example, where, where should we work? Where should we go to school? Where should we live? Whom should we marry? Who should we worship? Where should we worship? And it seems like the more options we have, the more afraid we are of choosing. And we become enslaved to being noncommittal. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to cut down our options because when we choose something, we eliminate the rest of the choices. And so we become noncommittal in a way that we're fearful to make a choice. So then we simply refuse to choose. And when the enemy of God can get us to be noncommittal about things that apply to our spiritual life, it can cause massive destruction. Lack of commitment kills our relationships because we're afraid to get too involved. We might make the wrong choice, so we don't make the choice at all. Um, Lack of commitment kills our serving because it tells us, well, you better keep your weekend and evenings free in case something better comes up, so don't volunteer to help with that. Or don't, don't say that you'll do that. Um, lack of commitment kills our giving. It tells us you better keep, keep everything you have in case you can find a cause that you find really attractive. Don't, you know, you know we want, God's saying give right now, and we're saying, well, wait a minute. There's lots of choices out there to give, so we're not going to give to the cause that we see right now. We're going to try to find the most attractive cause that we can give to. Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a woman uh, who said uh, very wisely that she wanted in her lifetime to marry four men. This is like the lack of commitment central. And she said, I want to marry a banker, then an actor, then a preacher, and then a funeral director. A banker, an actor, a preacher, and a funeral director. And Chuck Swindoll said, and why is that in that order? And she said, because one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. (laughs) And that was her plan. Now, not surprisingly, the very opposite of what culture bends toward, the very opposite of the FOMO phenomena is the fact that following Jesus takes deep commitment. Following Jesus takes deep commitment. And building strong families and building strong friendships and building a strong church family will take a massive measure of commitment. And it will take putting behind the FOMO, the fear of missing out, that our culture tends to tempt us with. And it will ask us to commit to things in a way that we may have never thought to before. So we're gonna talk just today about two things that Jesus asked us to commit to. And the first is committing to the cost, committing to the cost. So I wanna look in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 30. And the authors of the scripture um, in this particular passage, if you look it up in in the Bible, um, they, they named it, the cost of being a disciple. That's the title of this passage. 
Um, if I was in charge of naming it, I think I would call it just one word, yikes. Okay, that's what I would call it, just, just yikes. Because I want to read it to you. It says, um, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, does not hate their wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You know, there is no passivity. There is no FOMO or noncommittalness in this scripture. You can't just accidentally follow Jesus. Whoops, oh, here I am, just living my life, you know, making all the right choices. You don't, you don't just accidentally fall into being a disciple. You have to live on purpose. You can't just live nonchalantly for the kingdom. There are no passive believers that God calls us to be full of active discipleship. In fact, God falls, calls us to be full of commitment, full of choices. And Jesus says, commit to the cross. So in this parable in Luke, he is recording Jesus saying, don't begin the process of discipleship without knowing the high cost of faithfulness. That it's going to cost you something. In fact, if you're doing it right, it's going to cost you everything. It's going it's to cost you simply everything. And I just wanted to unpack the scripture a little bit because to be honest with you, when you read it, you know, I'm a little bit like, okay, I can't talk about this on Building Strong Family Day. It says, hate your mother, <laughs> you know, like, hate your kids. Like, what does this actually mean? But here's what Jesus is saying with that word. You know, God, God says, love everybody, love my neighbor, love my family. Like, what could this mean? But that word hate, it's in a parable, which means it's a story that Jesus is telling to, to, to give a point, okay? So it's a colorful word. It's a, it's a colorful language written in a parable to describe how much less we are to be committed to other people than we are committed to Christ. So Jesus is not saying hate your family, okay? What Jesus is saying is, in comparison to how much you love me, in comparison to how much you affection you have for me, in comparison to how much you want to follow me, it will feel so much less your commitment to other people and other things that it will be as if you're hating them. That's what he's saying. Your commitment, your priority to love and to serve anyone else must feel so much smaller than your love for Jesus that it can be classified as almost the opposite of love, which is hate. Christ can never be added as an afterthought of an already full and busy life. You know, there's one place that God will not accept, and that's second place. There's one place that God will not accept, and that's second place. The cost of being a disciple, just boiled down to simplicity, is that Christ is first place, and we must commit to the cost. And so, and so here's some questions we can ask ourselves. Who gets the priority of time in my life? Who gets the priority of finances in my life? Who gets the say? Who dictates my day? Whose opinion do you hold in the highest regard? You might have a really great mom that gives you really great advice, and you should do what your mom says. I'm a mom. I can say that. But Jesus 
needs to be the person who dictates your days, who, whose opinion you hold in the highest regard, who gets your priority of time and your priority of finances. These verses say, if you're my disciple, you must hate in comparison even your own life. And, and, and it's not God saying to hate herself. That's not what he's saying. He, he beckons us to look deeper. In fact, he may have even used that as a little bit of shock value when he was telling the disciples because I'm sure they were like, that, that isn't what you've been saying. But he's saying, look deeper. He's saying, in comparison to how much you love me, what will you give me about your life? Will you give me your plan? Will you give me your image? Will you give me your personality? Will you give me your priorities? Will you give me full reign and free will? Will you love me so much? Will you be so all in that no matter how much you love your, your life, that it will be tiny in comparison to how much you love me? You know, just all like the easy questions he asked us, right? Just all those easy ones. I love how next in the parable, Jesus talks about this, the unfinished tower syndrome. Um, and he says this, suppose you want to build a tower, won't you figure out um, that you have enough to do it before you start? Because if you don't, then all around your city is going to be a whole bunch of like unfinished towers, um, and it'll make it kind of look pathetic, kind of like unfinished projects. No offense, Joel. No, okay. No, he said a great job. But <clears throat> as I'm reading <laughs> these, unfin- these unfinished tower, unfinished tower thing, and as, as I was studying it this week, I really believed that as we looked at this passage this morning, that and I asked that the Lord, that, that the Spirit of God would speak directly to some of our hearts this morning. And, and I believe that, that we need to answer this question because some of us sit here this morning with, with unfinished towers. But where in, in our life did we start a mission for God, but we built it halfway and quit? When did you begin to unravel and lay out a dream that God had put in your heart, but somewhere along the line you got sidetracked and you built half a tower and quit? Who in your life did you begin investing in, pouring in, and helping and loving, and then when it got hard, you built half the tower and quit? Who, who did you say, what mission did you say you would give to and you would, you would sacrifice and you would pour into financially and spiritually and emotionally, but then for some reason you quit building the tower? Where has your commitment to the cost lacked? Because we all have something. In Luke 14, 20, 28, it says, sit down, estimate the cost before you launch the building project. Simple truth, but really hard to activate it. But this passage is saying, make sure you know what it takes to be a disciple. Make sure you understand the implications. Because in a world full of limitless options and the temptation to commit to nothing, Jesus calls for a life of commitment. He calls for a life of commitment. And I think the deeper meaning of estimating the cost in this parable is is this. As we count up the numbers, as we, as we figure out the sacrifices, maybe we jump into a project and then halfway through we realize we are so in over our heads with this particular thing that God has put before us. And, and, and what I love about, about Jesus is that without a doubt, without a doubt, it will be more than we have to give. Without a doubt, the things God calls you to, the towers that God asks you to build, will, they, they will require more than you have to give. But to build a life completely sold out to the kingdom of God, to be a disciple of Christ, 
It will take more than you have to give. It will cost more than you will ever earn. It will require more than you could ever give emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. But the beauty in the fact of counting the cost is that we on our own will never have what it takes. On our own, we will fail people. We will, we will abandon projects. Kingdom purposes will require too much sacrifice. But Jesus is saying here, discipleship isn't mustering up your own resources. It isn't sitting around trying to gather everything together to see what it takes. Discipleship isn't trying as hard as we can and, and, and just hoping that our incredible talents get her done. The secret of the Christian life is that it is impossible and that it was never meant to be lived on our own wisdom and it was never meant to be lived in our own power. And so as you take a a look at your life this morning and maybe God has brought to mind something that is unfinished. Don't be discouraged by that. Be driven by it. But get back to Jesus and say, God, help me with the things I'm lacking. Help me finish the tower because where the Lord is present, there is no limit to the miraculous interventions of his power. The cost is never too great when, when the Lord is there. But when we offer our commitment to him, he will supply the rest. He will supply, supply the rest. And, and on no uncertain terms, Jesus asks for deep commitment. And that will be one of the most difficult things that we will ever do as being disciples of Jesus. Okay, so commit to the cost. The second thing I believe he asks us to do is commit to each other. And I call that commit to the call. So in this series, um, we're digging deeper into the family of Ruth. And um, we see through this whole book a level of commitment um, that is so deep within this family. In fact, in chapter one, uh, Naomi tells her daughters, her daughters-in-law to go back and uh, make a life for themselves after their husbands die. And Ruth says, in verse 16, I'm gonna put it up there. He says, she says, don't urge me to leave or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And Ruth is committed to God, and she's committed to God's people, and she is committed to the call of God on her life. She knew that God was sending her to be with Naomi, and she was going to stay there. No matter what, I will go where you go, I will stay where you stay. And that brings us to Ruth chapter three. Um, so we see in this chapter, Naomi is trying to set Ruth up. Um, so time had passed and her son had died. And so Naomi was trying to set Ruth up with a handsome guy. And I just can imagine, maybe some of you single friends out there have this person in your life where like your grandma sees any possible stranger anywhere and they're nudging you like, go, go over there. You know, like it's like Walmart, the side of the road, you know, anybody like, he's cute, you know, and, she, and Naomi's just trying so hard to get Ruth to, to get a man. And so Naomi lays out a plan for Ruth. Naomi says, take off your garments um, that signify that, you're, that you were in mourning so they know that you're ready to move on. Prepare yourself and um, go and hang out at the grain heap. That's where all the magic happens. And uh, he says, she says, go and hang out there. And so Boaz comes in from dinner late one night, and he falls asleep. 
And it's kind of a funny picture because she's sort of like creepily sleeping at the end of her bed. But I guess that's how you, in that time, uh, you uncover, uh, Ruth uncovered his feet and laid down. In, in that time, that was the custom to show that um, she was ready to be married. And Boaz wakes up and Ruth says, uh, take me under your wing. Take me, I'm yours. Be my guardian redeemer. Commit to me. I'll commit to you. You commit to me. And, and then Boaz shows the same commitment to God and God's people that Ruth did. They were like two peas in a pod. They were, they were two people that understood the commitment to the cost. And Boaz says, yes, yes, I'll marry you. I'll take you in despite criticism, despite obstacles, despite the risk, despite what I might lose. Yes, 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 I will hear the call of God in my life, and I will, I will, I will receive the call to commitment, and I will do it. And even as people of God, we very often decide who and what we will commit to based on our selfish desires. And I think if you begin to just take an inventory of your life, you'll find some of the choices that you make. I mean, I did just thinking about it this week, the choices that I make that are so selfishly driven, maybe, maybe I don't even realize it, but, you know, we decide to stay or leave relationships based on if we're happy or not. You know, you talk with um, husbands and wives, and, and when they say they, they broke up, and you say, why? And, and the, the answer, because I just wasn't happy anymore, somehow is like, okay. Like, that was, that, okay, you just weren't happy anymore. You know, like, like we hear that. Or, or we decide to commit long-term if it's working for us. We decide to end or begin friendships when they aren't taxing our own lives. We decide to end friendships because, you know what, it, I just needed some time for myself. We, we use excuses like this all the time. We, we break commitments for reasons like, well, I'm just not happy. I need some time for myself. Um, I wasn't getting anything out of it. I, uh, I know so many people when they leave churches and you ask them why, and they say, well, I just wasn't getting anything out of it anymore. I, I didn't like the style. I, I just wasn't waking up at, like excited to go. I, I wasn't leaving there feeling fuzzy anymore. And the call to commitment that both Ruth and Boaz knew very well, and the commitment that Jesus modeled and asked from us, has absolutely nothing to do with self. It has nothing to do with self. It actually has nothing to do with how we feel. It has nothing to do with how happy a commitment makes us, or how dissatisfied or how inconvenient a commitment makes us. It has everything to do with who and where God is calling you to. And once you know that, if God is calling you to a relationship, if God is calling you to a family, if God is calling you to a church, if God is calling you to a, a task to finish a tower, whatever God is calling you to, once you know that, set up your tent, dig deep down in the foundation, and commit in a way that will not waver with your feelings. Because building a strong family and building a strong church family and building a strong friendship family will have absolutely nothing to do with how they make you feel. If you want to become mature in your faith, and I believe so much that the people in this room do, that's why you're here this morning. If you want to become mature in your faith and relationships, if you want to grow spiritually deep and spiritually strong, then commit in a way where you never ever ask, well, what will it do for me? How will it benefit me? 
As long as I keep liking it, I'll keep going. As long as I keep feeling happy, I'll keep the commitment. But as soon as that happens. Now, God releases people from commitments, without a doubt. And so if God releases you from a commitment, then, then that's between you and him, and you do what you gotta do. But I think so often our culture of fear of missing out, our culture of limitless options, our culture of not counting the cost begins to, to create in us this question, well, if I'm feeling good about it, if I'm feeling happy, and if I'm feeling entertained, I'll stick with it. But the minute I don't, then I'm out. But Matthew ten thirty nine says it better than I ever could. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I was in a conversation recently with two friends. Um, one of the girls was on a hunt for a new church, and we talked about all of the different styles and sizes and focuses and pastors and so many options, limitless options. We have great options in this city for churches. There's just wonderful people doing things for the kingdom of God just in our city. So many amazing options. And my friend, the three of us were talking, and my other friend wisely said to my church hunter friend, when you go and you visit churches, don't ask yourself if you like it. Don't, don't process on your way home with whoever you went with. I like the style or like the boys are good looking, you know, or, or there's, there's a lot of people in that room that look like me or, or whatever. Don't do that. Ask yourself this. Is there an opportunity for me to serve there? Where in the church, what can I do for this church? What can the things God has put inside me, I can go and invest there? And then hear clearly from God if he is calling you there. Because here's the deal. Luke's impressive, but he won't be able to impress you every week, all right? Like, I, I'm just saying, I, you know, I'm not going to wow you every time I, I, God gives me a word to, to say. Some series are going to be more relevant to you than others. We might change the paint color. Don't freak out, okay? I don't know. There's no plans. There's no plans, but it might happen. The programming might shift. Things are going to be different because that's just what happens when, when you change methods, when you change methodology. But I guarantee you someday you will come to church and you won't feel like coming. <laughs> and you might not even like what happens. You, you might not feel all fluttery anymore. The word of God might pierce you that you leave here kind of mad, okay? That could happen. Sometimes I pray that happens. But, but on that day, on that day you feel that way. If you feel called to this church family or any church family, maybe you're here visiting from another place, and you commit to that call, and you keep showing up, and you keep investing emotionally and financially and spiritually despite how you feel, I want you to know that your commitment will honor God in a way that nothing else can. And your faith will begin to mature and grow in a way that only commitment can make it grow. And that's the same way in your relationships with your family and your friends, committing to the people in your life, even when they are no benefit to you. Committing when it's hard and when it's painful, committing when it's inconvenient, committing when someone hurts you so deeply. That kind of commitment Jesus says in the scripture is something that, that incubates the growth of your soul in a way that nothing else can, in a way that nothing else can. The most beautiful, rich relationships and friendships come when you walked the road together and you never let go, even when it would have been easier to. That's when you look back and that's the richness in those relationships. When we commit to the call of God in our life, that's what he can do with us. So this concept of, of this fear of missing out in our culture, it's, 
It's such a spiritual principle. I see it just leaking so much into our spirits. And I feel like we're often like a starving man sitting in front of an all-you-can-eat buffet, dying because we just can't decide between the chicken or the shrimp. But there it is. And if we would just commit to one, if we could just make the choices that God calls us to, and then our commitments create our choices. And our choices create our commitments. And and we just begin to allow that to deepen us. If we let our spiritual enemy keep us away from commitment, if we don't let anyone get close to us, but then, we, but then we won't let anyone get too far away because if we let them, if we close the door on one, on one person or one thing or one, or, or one choice, then we let another one go. And so if we just kind of live in this sort of indecisive way and we can't let some options close, but we, but we want to leave some options open, it exhausts us, it frustrates us physically and spiritually. And it will feel like a tide on a beach where, where it's never committing one way or another, right? It's back and forth and back and forth, never committing one way or another. And the scripture says in Ephesians 4.14 that people who don't commit are like infants being tossed back and forth on the waves of a tide, blown here and there by every wind. But he says, Jesus says, I am a hope that is an anchor. And when you choose him, you anchor yourself. Spiritual maturity happens in commitment. And so in what area of your life are you still flirting with the options? Where are you refusing to choose? Maybe it's in a particular relationship. Maybe it's even in your marriage. But where in your life are you refusing to choose? Maybe, maybe you're not truly committed at work. Maybe you're keeping your options open with God himself. Maybe this morning you're not allowing yourself to become committed. You're too unwilling to commit to the cost. And, and that is causing you to spiritually be tossed in the wind, back and forth, some days living for Jesus and some days not. Let me close with this, that Jesus is asking for a huge measure of commitment. There is no doubt in this. He, he never wavers from this. And, and today's message is heavy, but it's real. It's why I titled it, Yikes, okay? Because it's real, it's what he says, it's what he says over and over. And what we can have no doubt about is what Jesus, what Jesus is asking from us is exactly what he has already done for us. What Jesus is asking from us is exactly what Jesus has already done for us. The whole book of Ruth is a parable of divine love. The whole book of Ruth. Ruth is a young widow, um, essentially sentenced to poverty and hardship unless, unless someone comes and commits to redeeming her. She, she is lost. She has no hope. She will glean for the rest of her life the leftovers of the farmers unless someone comes and redeems her. And so Naomi, in this, in this whole book, is like, is like God. Where, where Naomi shows her undying commitment. She longs for her child's redemption. She, she makes a plan for her. She creates a plan. She guides Ruth to every position where she can to come in contact with her redemption, so much so that Naomi literally tells Ruth where to stand at the grain heap for her to meet her redeemer. Naomi is so faithful to be committed to her, to make sure that she sees her redemption. And then in, in the story, Ruth is like us. 
She can do nothing to save herself, but she commits her life to honoring Naomi, whose character represents God, and she responds to Boaz's grace. She repents of her past. She requests redemption, and then Boaz promises her he'll, be, he'll provide for her, he'll be her kinsman, redeemer, and then she receives the promise. And so in this story, Boaz is like Jesus. He is committed to do whatever it takes to take care of Ruth. Boaz is willing to redeem her and waiting to redeem her. And Boaz is so happy to just pour the grace out on Ruth because Boaz was, was created to be the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is not waiting around to see if there's a better option of a person that he can pour his grace out on. Jesus picks you. He isn't afraid if he equips and empowers you that he might miss out on someone else. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus is so committed to you. He is so committed to your family. Jesus is so committed to this church. He is so committed that he wouldn't come down from that cross until redemption was won. Not one second early. They said, pray and ask for you to be delivered from this. And Jesus said, no, because I'm going to die on this cross because I'm so committed to my people. So we're going to pray this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want you to know today that if you have not committed your life to Christ, that he is so committed to you, that he is so committed to sending you a redeemer, that he has made a way, he has made a way for you to be in this building today. He has made a way so that if you repent and give your life to Jesus, that you will be in heaven with him forever. And I want you to know that as you're listening today, if you have felt like maybe you've been tossed in the wind because of the limitless amount of choices, that God has come to say, yes, I want serious commitment, but I'm not asking you to do it on your own, that he will help us finish the tower, that he will help us carry the cross. So let's just pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your commitment to us personally. I thank you for your commitment to our families, and I thank you for your commitment to this church. God, we are desperately thankful. And so I ask for those today that have accepted you into their hearts that they would begin this journey of commitment, that they would count the cost before they decide. But God, that you would use this church to help them be developed into a disciple of Jesus. And God, I thank you for those that can be an example of, to us of carrying the cost. And I ask, God, that you would help us mature, that you would help us be strong in you and not tossed by the waves of the sea. And God, it's in your name I pray.